welcome back to Talk L&D. On this episode, I have the wonderful Justin Collins on, and we talk all things how to make great online learning content, psychological safety, and how to create the optimal environment for learning to happen. I had great fun recording this with Justin. I hope you enjoy listening to it. And if you do enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us and share us on social media. It helps other people find us. Happy listening and thank you for coming to find us. Welcome back to Talk L&D and we've got a lovely guest with us today, Justin Collinge. Um, and we're going to be talking about how to create an environment that's great for learning. Um, so Justin Collins is the founder of Leadability, and this is a business dedicated to making um, making great work easier, which I think we'll all, you can all agree we all want that. Um, but he's got a very interesting career, including being a school teacher, a university lecturer, a firefighter, pastor, author, and an author of two books, and has just um, and has started four businesses. And his previous startup used big data to support high-performing teams and large organizations. And he sold that business to return to his passion, the practical application of social psychology and neuroscience. And Justin, in his current um, business, partners with a range of large companies running management and leadership development programs. Um, and he's committed to measurable results. Um, and one of his recent programs won four major national awards for its impact, which is fantastic. Um, and his programs include bespoke digital resources where he seeks to champion an alternative approach to that of most e-learning. And he lives in Devon, beautiful, beautiful spot, feeling a little bit jealous that he's near the, near the beaches and currently trying to finish Luigi's Mansion on Nintendo Switch, which I think is quite an interesting way to spend some time in lockdown. Um, yeah, I'm failing, I'm afraid. <laughs> Hi, Louisa. Lovely to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And there's so you've done so many different things. I can't wait to talk to you more about learning from all your different experiences. Um, so firstly, let's start. You've had a really interesting life. And what motivated you to take the path that you're on now, working in the world of online learning? So uh, accident, really. Um, all the online learners I've spoken to uh, so learning developers I've spoken to say they fell into it rather than I don't know anyone who d wanted to be a creator of online learning. I had a client a couple of years ago who wanted me to do a brilliant project and said, oh, we'll want some online resources to go with it. And of course, you say yes to your clients. So I said, yes, I went on to people per hour to find someone who could create it for me. I told them what I wanted and they said, you don't want to do it like that. And I'm so lucky. I found someone who gave me great advice, great input. The client was delighted with what was created. And I thought it wasn't that hard. The, the software there is so supportive these days to help you create stuff. So I started doing it myself after that. And um, and haven't looked back, really. I, I really enjoyed it. A, a third of my income that year came from digital resources com compared to zero from the previous year. and um, and it's grown since then. So it's a major part of my input, but I wouldn't like it to be all of my input, mm -hmm. I have to say. Yeah, um, really interesting, actually, because the online learning field has been growing for years. And obviously in the last year, it's just, Suddenly. you know, everything's all online now um, because it's had to be. I was so lucky. A, a year before <laughs> this happened, I was asked to create digital resources and I just it, it was a good fit for me. Yeah. And so what do you think, thinking about how we've been pushed into this online world, what are some differences between online learning and face-to-face -face learning? 
Are there any differences? The so there's two things about online learning. There's online learning where you're using Zoom or Team or Teams or whatever, and so you're present together. And there's online learning which we would consider e-learning. You know, the the sort of asynchronous or synchronous they they talk about, don't they? And so uh, there are differences with each. Where do I start? So you asked, what's the difference between face to face and um, synchronous learning using Zoom or Teams, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, all, it's connection all the time, isn't it? Now, there's loads of stuff you can use to help you connect, and there's loads of different applications to help you um, get people's ideas onto, onto some virtual board, whereas you'd be using post-it notes in the room and so on. But bringing in a real edge to it. I, I think people learn when they're out of their comfort zone, and so the challenge is how do you create that same safe environment and yet it's edgy and i can do that well face to face learning to do that remotely is is much harder uh, less psychological safety i so suppose yeah that's that's i definitely pick up on that because obviously as, as a facilitator one of my my favorite things is to facilitate face to face and, you know, I always say to people, right, I'm going to put you into stretch zone. You may not like me, but Absolutely. this is the only way you're going to learn. And I think trying to imitate that experience is it can be done on Zoom, but it's it's also a bit harder. Um, and I think also I'm sure you appreciate how do you read your Zoom room when you've got a presentation and you've got everyone down the side? And then you put them in breakout rooms because that's where the edginess comes when they're yeah. in breakout rooms. But then you're not there with them and you can pop in. But all sorts of things are happening behind your back, which you would see happening if they're in little groups around the room. I, I, I found it quite challenging. And yet I have to say people are adapting to it very well. And I've, I've been privileged to facilitate some quite um, deep and, and for some people quite profound mm -hmm. workshops where they've, they've found that edge in the breakout rooms yeah so what do you think are key things for somebody that is facilitating on a on an online let's say zoom zoom learning session to try and create the best possible learning on on that kind of environment it's a great question i i, I don't <laughs> feel expert enough to answer it really I, I can tell you what what i think i guess yeah which is too. um the danger that I fall into, and I've, I've watched other people fall into, is when it's remote like this, they become a little bit more preachy. Um, by that, I mean, tell and less ask. And so because it's not always easy to have people contributing and, and joining in with their own experiences and so on, it can become much more of a keynote type tell environment rather than a genuine place where people are creating their own learning and so that's where the challenge for me lies how do I create an environment where people have the safety uh, enthusiasm uh, encouragement to create their own learning environment so how do I do that when I'm distant from them can't see the body language that goes with it and all that sort of thing and the clunkiness of the tools there's brilliant tools out there like Jamboard or, or things like that. But of course, it's not me being able to use them that matters, it's them being able to use them. And so getting all of that working smoothly so it doesn't get in the way of learning is, is a, it's a real challenge. Yeah, it's almost a, 
we've all I think we've all been a constant uh, learning learning experience the last year haven't we and that's cool so long as you're not threatened by that then you're modeling learning rather than modeling knowledge and I love yes. that yes and yeah I think it's I something I always kind of think of being somebody that facilitates and works in learning development is I always think it's important that I do stuff that puts me out of my comfort zone and I'm constantly absolutely we yes. can't ask our, our sort of participants and our trainees to be doing that if we're not willing to do it ourselves. And I think sometimes it's good for me to remember what it's like to be a trainee in a room, not knowing yeah. what I'm going into. Um, and I so every now and again, I just like to put myself in those situations so I can remember what that's like, so that I can remember what it's like for the people that I've got in front of me. And I think I always think, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, as somebody who works in learning development, my, I very much feel like I live that ethos of constant learning and growing and I cannot ask somebody to do that if I'm not doing it myself. I, I passionately believe that I've got no right to ask someone else to be learning if I'm not learning. I, and I, my first career was as a teacher and I, found, I, I really disliked those long in the tooth teachers who'd lost the passion that they started with, which I understood, but they'd lost their own curiosity and they became became tellers rather than teachers and here's some information that i need to pound into people's brains and, and <laughs> so I, when i started teaching i i felt like my training for that was was quite poor really and i realized i was teaching with no idea what i stood for and the two principles i i, I came up with in my first term as a teacher was i wanted people to want to come into my classroom because if they were having fun I could teach them anything if they were bored they wouldn't learn anything and I think looking back all those years I'm old now <laughs> but that was still true but the other thing was the best thing I could do for anyone regardless of what I was teaching them was curiosity to provoke curiosity and for them to start asking their own questions and to do that I have to be curious I, I have to you absolutely obviously have to model what you want to engender in other people and so that became the touchstone of my me as a teacher. Uh, I'll never forget, I, I tell the story with pride, really. I was teaching in a school, we're middle of a maths lesson, and I, everyone was getting on with their work. And I looked up and said, I'm afraid I'm bored. And they all <laughs> moaned at me because we'd agreed that if, if I was bored at any point, we'd have to do something else. And I had my class complaining because they wanted to finish the maths. And I was interrupting it because they were all getting on with it. I was bored. And we stood at the window of, of my classroom, looking, it was in West Sussex, looking at the South Downs and talking about the colour of the trees on the Downs. Because, of course, the trees are green, aren't they? No, they aren't. Not, not when they're at a distance, because the filtering of the light and all that sort of thing, they're actually blue. And so we all start painting little trees, different colours to see which looks right and so on. Because although you can't see that they're blue because your brain says, no, they're green. We know what colour trees are. It, they aren't. And so all of that, and we're pulling apart, why, why, why are they blue and so on? And I remember that as that was the peak of me as a teacher, interrupting their maths and creating curiosity about something that was just around you. I, I, I'm proud of that moment. And do you know what? I bet, I bet they all remember that lesson. I bet they all remember it. I, well, much more than they remember whatever maths I was teaching. I, don't, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but I think, do you know what? I think that that is such a beautiful way to sum it up isn't it it's about staying curious and even Steve Jobs said it he's you know one of his famous speeches he's like stay curious yeah. um yeah. because that's 
And I think when you say curious, that's, that's part of the magic. Like when you think of a, ch- a child, I, I mean, I sometimes find it fascinating watching small children because everything is is wondrous to them because they have this curiosity. You know, when, when children ask a question, why, why, but why, but why, but why? It's because they just want to, you know, they're, they're like sponges wanting to absorb everything that's going on. And I think sometimes if we all stepped into that curious mindset of a child and that joyful mindset of a child, actually, how what difference would that make to ourselves and to our to our lives because they are just sponges for learning um and I just think they're fascinating to watch sometimes how they operate because we forget we lose our we lose that magic don't we as we we grow up and society rewards knowledge not not asking the right question but knowing the right answer and 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 I get suckered in you so you you you've asked me thank you I feel very privileged to be uh part of this recording now thank you for that but it's so flattering for you to want to know what I think and so I I find myself in expert shoes okay I'm the expert in this I've got all this experience so let me tell you what I think and as soon as you go there you lose that curiosity you become a knower rather than a thinker and I never want to lose it I, I, I fight that desire to be expert um, yeah, well, I, it's interesting as well the whole concept of an expert because I think by default human beings while we share we share a lot of things that are the same every human being is different so what works for one yeah. human might not work for another and I think that and I, that's one of the things I love about about being a facilitator being a coach and just about life as human beings it's so I, I could sit I love um I used to drive one of my old colleagues mad because I used to sit there and be like, tell me a story. And he'd be like, because oh, I just love stories. I love hearing people's stories. And I, I look back at my life and I think the most profound experiences and the, the most profound learning moments for me have been when I've been sat in a room with people that are different to me and just sat listening, sat listening and, and hearing what they've got to say about life, about their experiences and you know, that's why I, think I, I love podcasts. I love, I love like documentaries. I love all of those real life stories because there's nothing more powerful than learning from somebody that's got that lived experience. And I, I look at the world sometimes and think if we all listened a little bit more and actually heard what other, not, you know, when I say listen, it's actually hearing what people are saying and actually heard what they said and took that information to create a better world wouldn't we be in a better place if we did all listen a little bit more absolutely absolutely a world would be a lovely place i was teaching in a workshop yesterday the Kinevan framework that's c-y-n-e-f-i-n it's a welsh word Kinevan, and it's the difference between simple issues complicated issues complex issues and chaotic issues and as i was teaching it the the, the big issue is complex issues don't have right answers you're just better ways and worse ways to respond to them and i realized that anything that involves people is a complex issue yeah. uh, so if it's a process it might be a simple issue it might be a complicated issue but if it's a person oriented thing it's complex there's no right answer and unless you're good at asking questions and and probing you're you're not going to handle it well anyway so yeah couldn't agree more yeah just more ask more questions definitely I mean I know I've, I'm in my career different settings been working with people and I always say when you're dealing with people it's never black and white it's every shade of grey going that, that, that yeah. that's always my thing when you're dealing with people it's always going to be um 
be different shades of grey. Um, so I just want to come back to sort of um, learning a bit more. So you've you've done a lot of different things, school teacher, university lecturer, firefighter, author, pastor, and obviously had your own business all shaped around, which a lot of those roles are actually about helping people learn different things. They really are. Um, so from those different settings, what are the key things you've noticed across all those settings that are key for learning to happen? What needs to be present for learning to happen, essentially? So you gave me warning that that was going to be one of your questions. And I, I thought, oh, I don't know, <laughs> was my first first answer. Um, and so wanting to slip into that expert mode, so you think well of me. Um, I think there are two things that that I I don't think learning happens without. And the first is some degree of um, psychological safety in oh. terms of it's OK to make mistakes. It's OK to own up to. Uh, not knowing it's okay to challenge and not feel stupid uh, it's okay to not know so that sort of thing so and that has to come from leadership if it's not there in the leadership it won't be there in the culture of the organization and then the other thing which I've only fallen on in the last five years I guess um, that as a clear concept is the idea of safe experiments encouraging people to see everything as a safe experiment so um I, i've had a new idea walking the dog yesterday with my wife i had this great idea of a new project and so oh that's exciting and then today walking the dog with my wife i was saying i've been thinking on this and this is this is where it could go all very exciting and immediately we fall back into so what's a safe experiment rather than planning this huge project what's the smallest thing i can try to test the water to see if i get the results that i want that won't cost me too much if it doesn't give me the results, but gives me enough results to know whether it's working or not. And that whole idea of making everything an experiment. So, you know, from arguments with my wife. Oh, well, so, so regularly, it's part of our language now. You know, we're disagreeing about something. So, okay, what's an experiment we can run here? To, <laughs> I love to, that. To try it out. No, I, seriously, it's part of our, our personal language. But... I, I, I gave the word, I suggested this to a office manager a couple of years ago, and later he came back to me to say it had changed the whole way the office worked, wow. because everything just became an experiment. He had someone come to him that he needed them to take on a whole new bit of work, and knew that there would be a long argument about, I can't take on more work, I'm already too busy. And so he sidestepped all of that by saying, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Let's just see it as an experiment. Let's try it for a week and let's talk in a week's time, see how you're getting on. It's just an experiment. You're not landed with it. We're trying it. And it all worked fine and they got on with it. And so this office manager said the word experiment changed the way they approach work wow. from there on it across the board. And I have to say, it's my experience of the learning cultures that I've worked with and the work I'm probably proudest of comes from where people have been encouraged to try something out, learn from it and try something else out and share that. So safe experiments um, need to be safe, obviously, so, so they don't hurt anyone if they go wrong. They need to be um, significant so they make a difference. You know, you can measure the results, but they also need to be shared. So other people are learning from your experiment and think, oh, I'll give that a try. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that because he tried it and didn't work. So um, for me, that that's the panacea that solves all ills. 
Yeah, I love I only that. have one answer. <laughs> I love that safe experiment. It takes me back to um to chemistry. Actually, I used to quite like the only reason I like chemistry was because we got to get the Bunsen burners out and do experiments. And I mean, it sounds make makes sound like a pyromaniac, but burn stuff. You like try out burning different yeah. things. And um, but I think that's such a great a great way to think about things. A safe experiment because then the idea of an experiment is there's no sort of set outcome is there it's like let's just see if you this can't works. fail it yeah it exactly takes away that pressure so in terms of psychological safety if just calling it an experiment takes away all that pressure yeah. of i've got to make this work no no you just get results there might yeah. be good results there might be bad results but you haven't failed or succeeded you've just learned a bit more yes uh, I learn never to do it again that's, <laughs> that's a, but that's a real success yeah yeah and I think you know and I think what you sort of said there about you sort of touched on it there but creating that culture where it's okay to fail and then what's so interesting is all research so um I don't know if you've come across Matty Saeed's work black box thinking rebel ideas absolutely brilliant love his work um you know psychological safety as well it's all about being able to fail but actually if we want to innovate and create new you you have you know when you're innovating you're going to fail if you're mm. pushing that comfort zone you are going to fail because it's and I think sometimes we get so caught up and scared of failure don't we as human beings we don't like that prospect but what if we flipped it and then was like well failure is just part of the journey because if you never failed if you've never failed you wouldn't know that that doesn't work and if you have never failed, I would say, are you are you pushing the boundaries? Are you pushing your comfort zone? Because actually failure is a sign that we're progressing. If you look Absolutely. at it in that way. I, I, I had a bizarre conversation with my previous business partner about how do we reward people for failing in this business? And, you know, what can we do so that when, if people are failing, 30% of the time, we're, we're rewarding that, saying, yes, you're getting this about right. Sorry, I made up the 30%. I can't remember the conversation. <laughs> but, but it was definitely, uh, you know, what do we do to reward failures uh, yes. was, was our conversation. Interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. I'm, I wonder if any organisations would dare to take oh, that. Oh, there are. There are some. Are yes. I'm sorry, I can't remember. But we're basing it on, on experience that we'd seen with other organisations. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's fascinating. Oh, I love this stuff. It's so fascinating. Um, so thinking about that, like we've been talking about psychological safety and failure. So thinking about businesses, organisations that want to create more of um, an environment where people are embracing that learning and development. What what kind of things? What changes could they make to their culture? What could they bring into their culture to to enable that to happen? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And, and not, hard yeah, not, when, not, not easy questions. Not easy. When, <laughs> when you get get paid for results and your bonus is based on how good your turnover or whatever, you know, your bonuses are based on, and as an organization, you sink or swim based on results, then rewarding failure is very counter that culture or that thinking anyway. And for me, it always, the, the culture of the organization always, always, always reflects the leadership and reflects the leader's values. And so if you're wanting to bring in a culture of safe experiments or and uh, failing quickly and learning from it and, and so on, then it's, the leader's got to do that and got to talk about the failures 
mm-hmm. and be open about it and and believe it themselves they it's not something you can pretend i don't think it, it's got to be in your value set yes and definitely. and so t- there was an organization that um i worked at previous business uh, that i'm thinking of uh, one of our clients where we had we engaged the workforce in regular stand-up meetings where the whole point of the meeting was to say what are you trying today or this week and then the next meeting so what did you try okay what results did you get so what are you going to try today and then the little group the stand-up group were learning from each other and the lead the managers of these groups were then doing the same with their teams and so the managers were sharing what was working and what wasn't and the transformation in the business was incredibly fast I mean just ridiculously fast um and it all came from from that uh, setting up the business to do the safe experiments really give it a try amazing it's really amazing there's a few things have you ever come across Brené Brown's work absolutely yeah so she talks about failing fast and actually the importance of being vulnerable leaders being vulnerable actually by admitting their flaws and it makes them more authentic and more human and more relatable and actually she almost argues that's 21st century kind of leadership. We need, need more, more of that. Um, so fu- funny, you should mention her. We actually used one of her videos in that client that I'm talking about. So for the listeners, look up Brenny Brown, damn you, Steve. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah, oh, yeah, I think I've seen, yes, I think I, I've seen th- it. <laughs> that, that video captured something for me at a time where I was a bit blamey and not, not, um, well, let's leave it at a bit blamey. And that <laughs> damn you, Steve, you'll have to watch it to understand why it's damn you, Steve. Uh, but for me, that caught everything. I thought, yes, it's always down to me, not down to Steve. Watch the video. It'll make sense. <laughs> yeah. And any of Brené Brown's work is is um, brilliant. Big, big fan of her. But I think the other thing, also what you said there is about, you know, often with learning, we think, I think sometimes people think it needs to be this big thing, but it, I think simple thing everybody can do is just that reflection. So what you were saying there, so what have you tried this week? What have you learned from it? And what what are you going to do? That, as simple as that, if every, you know, every day you reflect on what have I done today? What's worked? What's not? Okay, from that information I now have, what can I do a little bit better tomorrow? Just a simple tool like that. And I think sometimes people can overwhelm themselves thinking, I need to do this big learning thing. I need to do this and this. And it's actually like, it's all those small little bits that eventually add up to the big stuff. Yeah, so just, uh, sorry to pick you up on your language there, but you said, uh, so what am I going to do this week, uh, today, and what have I learned from? The, the issue there is what am I going to try? What, are, what am I going to try differently? What am I yeah. going to do differently? So it's if I'm doing the same thing, I'll get the same results. Yeah. So to sit down at the beginning of the day and say, so what am I going to do differently today? Well, what have I tried standing up working standing up for half an hour see see how that what if i tried taking breaks what if i tried not taking breaks what if i you know and all sorts of little experiments are so easy to do but unless we we actually ha- have that mentality we don't we just do the same thing every day yes yeah and you just become it becomes monotonous um, uh, and the build-up <laughs> of those little learnings of course yeah it's like saving money you you it, the interest starts building up very fast after a bit Yes, exactly. And that's, that creates, um, well, if your team are growing, your organization will grow because it just flows. You know, yeah. Naturally. yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, it's great. And actually thinking of that, 
And thinking of cultures, um, what do you think, you know, when we talk about leadership, what do you think makes someone a great leader? In this day and age, <laughs> these times. So, so let, let, let me be honest, somewhere inside I go, well, I don't know. <laughs> nice, a nice smile, you know, why are you, why are you asking me? Uh, no, thank you for asking me. Uh, somewhere along the line, um, I am personally convinced that the trouble with the question is that I go to my own preferences rather than a more remote academically what do I think makes a great leader so you mentioned Steve Jobs he was a great leader but he doesn't come in my list of great leaders because I don't like him <laughs> or who he was and how he treated people I'm yeah. amazing you know I respect him but I wouldn't want to be like that and so I find my my judgment colored by what I like rather than what is empirically good. So I'm going to answer the, what I like. Yeah, but that, that's, exactly, that's the beauty of it because we are all different. So everyone's perspective is different. And that's what, that's what makes these rich conversations hear okay. from people's thoughts. So go for it. Years ago, when I started my very first business, um, I had this germ of an idea and I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And I was walking with a friend who was asking me about it and said, so what are you going to stand for? And there was a pause. I could take you back to the path we were walking on. I remember exactly where we were. And I was, what, 28? I'm 62 now. So we're going back, you know, a number of years. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, don't you think you should? Oh, yeah, I really should. So I spent the next probably couple of months, if I'm honest, just paying attention to what I thought was important and what I thought uh, I was looking for my values. I didn't really have that language at the time. Um, so I was recording what I thought was important in the way I worked and the way the business stood, what the business stood for and so on. And gradually that whittled down into nice phrases. And I had five of them in the end of what I stood for. And then I, my business got going and it was successful. I'm, I'm very proud of what that business did. But the real learning for me was getting clear about my values. And I'll always be grateful to that friend asking me the question. And you know, 40 years later or whatever we are, I my values have changed a little, if I'm honest. They've grown and, and in different directions, but essentially they're just the same. And to live a life knowing what I stand for and what I don't stand for as well has brought great clarity and direction and I think leadership because I think people John Wesley who started the Methodist movement they said of John Wesley that people would come and watch him burn and not literally burn but he was so passionate about what he believed was right that people would flock so that and warm themselves on his passion and I think if you're clear about your values and you, you know where you're going, that's really attractive. And you're a leader if people follow you. I don't care whether you've got the title or not. You know, you're a leader if people are following you. And people follow someone who has clarity, passion and all sorts of integrity and trust and all sorts of other good things. But I think until we know who we are, I'm not sure how well we can lead anyone else. So getting clear about your values is... I don't know if that answers your original question. I think that's, um, I think that's great, actually, a great answer. And I think, because I think sometimes people look at leaders as business people or people out, you know, with a profile. And actually, that is exactly right. A leader is anybody who has followers. 
um, you know, because, and that's why, and I think in the last year, we've seen lots of leadership in different ways, leaders in the community doing, helping their community in a positive way, yeah. leaders in the, you know, nurses, our doctors, our key workers. And it's, if you have just a couple of followers, that actually is quite important because you can influence those people. And I think, you know, I look at sort of the younger generation and Instagrammers and influencers, but actually they have a really important, they are leaders because they have a lot of young people looking up to them. And actually what they say and what they do has a lot of influence. Um, yes. You know, especially in this day and age with so much going on, those messages that we are, that, that, that are being given out, particularly to the young generation, which are a bit more impressionable because they don't know, they're still trying to find out who they are. They're at that point. Um, but I do think sometimes people think that they look at it as a leader as one that's got to be on famous or be a CEO, but we, we can all be leaders in our own way if we are, if we have people that look up to us. And I think, you know, knowing what you stand for and values, me and Alex have had these conversations a few times recently about, it's actually quite a difficult thing to define your values. It's something that needs a bit. I, I don't agree. I, you know? I, no, I don't. I, I think we're not asking ourselves useful questions as part of that and we expect bigger things and I think summing them up in a in a simple phrase can be hard but all it takes is to pay attention to what you think matters and yes. th those are your values so and I don't think unless you've already done the exercise before I don't think sitting there and trying to write down your values is a particularly useful <laughs> exercise but having a notebook with you or you know your phone with you to take note of when you notice over the next couple of weeks, the things that you like or don't like, respond to or don't respond to, I, I think they're as plain as the nose on your face, actually. You, you just need to take a little while to notice it. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> great way to describe how to do it, because sometimes when you ask people what your values are, like, oh, they don't know. Like the people, when you ask that question, a lot of people yeah. thought about it, they really struggle to come up with it but that is such a great way to think about what your values are what what is important to, in a day-to-day -day basis what's important what, what pulls you what doesn't pull you I think that's a lovely summary actually for anyone anyone wanting to know what their values are just do what Justin just said <laughs> it's great, great. We go. well so all those years ago those phrases I ended up with have steered my life they really yeah. have not not in that it's stood in a different direction, but giving me clarity to walk the path I'm walking and I'm not wandering around quite so much because I think, no, I don't want to do that because that's not what I believe in. Or, oh, I love that because that is what I believe yes. in. Yeah. I tell you something really scary about all that that I learned in those early days was how, because so many people don't have a clue about their own values, mm -hmm. is they adopt yours. So when I had people joining my, my um, business and working for me I'd say well this is what the business stands for and so this is what you're you're representing when you're standing for my business um and uh, all my questions were is it okay with your own value set you know I, I don't want to clash with your values you're not a good fit for us if your values don't fit with these and I discovered they didn't have a clue what their values were and liked mine <laughs> and so adopted mine as theirs and that was really scary for me and I think what you're just saying about influencers and the younger generation and impressionability and so on, that's where leadership scares me. Mm. Where people let go of their own, well, they don't have a, a sense of who they are. And so they adopt who you are thinking mm. that's nice and attractive. And I quite like that. Now, hopefully they'll only be attractive. It's 
fits their values anyway. But it it it's a real um, responsibility, I think. Yeah, actually, it's an interesting point there. What you said about um, so organisations that do values values based recruitment. So you know, an organisation that has values, yeah. and then they want to recruit people that share the same values. Um, and I do think there is it need there needs to be some level of congruence there. You know, I, I mean, if Absolutely. you've ever worked for an organisation that doesn't align with your values, it causes all kinds of challenges. For I mean, I've definitely done it and then realised this isn't for me. I need to go. Um, but that actually is quite an important thing. You know, I think more and more as well that that sense of to have that sense of purpose of is what this business doing and where I'm working aligned with what I'm I'm doing you know it's that thing of you can train skills but you can't train an attitude and if someone's attitude isn't isn't um aligned well I'd love to hear your thoughts on on those things actually just in I hadn't heard the phrase you can train skills but not an attitude I, I, I no I haven't I, I like it um <laughs> I, I think I so I'm not I don't know how I feel about that in in that you can be attractive and so your attitudes can be attractive or repulsive and therefore that I probably you can't train them but you can make them so attractive that people take them on anyway yeah yeah uh, and so for someone who where money it, it's all about financial security uh, then they will be attracted to other people with that sort of thing and learn from them and that will in, encourage that um, Whereas I, you know, I, I remember talking to a client a few years ago, big charitable organization, and I was sitting with one of the senior directors and he said, so let, let me be crystal clear here. As you get to know this organization, we're a charity and I'm in it to make as much money as I can. I don't care about making a difference. I want to make money. And I looked at him and thought, well, at least you know who you are mm -hmm. and I don't want to spend another minute with you. <laughs> And actually, I walked away from that organisation. I'm sure I could have gone on working with them, but I just didn't like them and I didn't want to support them. Yeah. Uh, let's go and find someone who, who I do like. Sorry, I'm not sure why I even told you that story. There we go. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's it about values, isn't it's it? It's about values and integrity and being, being you know, integrity and being aligned. Um, and actually, it's a great example of where you're working with an organisation and the values don't match or don't feel aligned to what you are. So you... So that's a great story to tell, yeah. except I was in a position where I had plenty of work and I could walk away from yes. that client. Another time in my life where I had no clients, I was desperate to earn, earn money and I found myself compromising my values. Mm. And there was a client um, offering a service that I didn't believe in, but they wanted me to work for them. And I needed the money. Mm. And so I went and worked with them and sort of excused it and explained it. But the truth is, um, if I had plenty of income, I wouldn't have thought of working with them. So your values, you know, I'm not saying they're flexible, but when it's Maslow's triangle stuff, isn't it? Yes, Actually, yes. Survival, you, you, can only you can only afford values once you've got the basics in place. Yeah, and actually that's a true point. It's a true point, you know, sometimes. Like, I often think about, you know, some of the issues going on in the world, like climate change, for example, and sustainability. You know, and I, I remember having conversations with people being like, look, let's get real. If you are living on the breadline and you are just trying to feed your kids, why are you going to care about, you know, 
um, global warming, climate change. Yeah. You just, you just not, are you? Because if you're in a state of survival, you're in a state of survival. So your focus is surviving every day. And so my answer was, if we want to change anything in the world, if we want to tackle climate change, if we want everyone on board with these things, we have to end poverty because while people are in poverty, only, you know, only so many of the population is able to tackle the things, the ones that have, that aren't living in survival mode. Because if you're living in survival mode, you're, you just don't really have the space for anything else. Cause it's about how am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to get through this day? How am I going to keep this roof over my head? And it's two very different mindsets. And, um, you know, and I think that's where when we look at some of the sort of social problems and issues in the world, it is really up to the responsibility of the people that aren't living in survival mode to, to help make those changes. We can't be looking to some of the poorest people, even though there will be so much innovation going on there, because actually they will probably be very resilient and very creative as a result of that. But we can't put that responsibility onto them while they're just trying to survive. That's my thoughts on it anyway. Sorry, we got, got quite deep there. We're just on, on, on world issues, but nice. I do, do firmly. You know, and actually when we think about learning, it's also an important thing to think about where, you know, when you think about kids in school, what's going on for them? If someone's struggling to learn or pick something up, well, actually, is that because they don't want to learn or is that because they're just not in the space for learning at that moment, moment in time? You know, if someone's got numerous stresses going on, do they have the capacity and space in their head? If they're already at their max point of being out of their comfort zone because of other life issues, are they in space, space to learn? What are your thoughts on that, Justin? The, the fight, flight, freeze response, uh, what I understand is you can't learn new things, that, that the bit of your brain that is ready to lay down new, new ideas, you know, accept new ideas and lay down new pathways is closed down if you're flooded with adrenaline, if you're feeling threatened, and threat could be you haven't had enough food to, mm. to eat and, and you're wondering where your next meal is coming from. Threat could be a non-psychologically safe environment. Yes. Threat could be, you know, and could be anything that, that threatens you, whether it's actually physically threatening or not. And so unless you can provide an environment where people feel safe, then they can't learn. It's not that they won't. Mm-hmm. and I, I think I got it right as a teacher when I wanted my children to want to come into my classroom I, I you know I didn't understand this sort of thing in those days but I was reaching for an environment where they felt comfortable and that's where you can learn and if they aren't comfortable then it doesn't matter how innovative and everything else I am they they actually can't learn yeah it's really it's actually a really important thing when we talk about learning in organizations as your culture because if you've got a culture where people are terrified of making mistakes fear fearful or they don't just don't feel safe you did just no matter what you do so before learning even happens I guess the question is is have you got an environment that's conducive to learning because there's no point bringing in learning interventions if you haven't got that culture right absolutely so get the psychological safety and get in the culture oh, you culture came back right. again didn't it yeah, yeah. I, i've only got one speed i'm afraid <laughs> no but it's so true i mean it's it's and actually it's a really important um becoming more important talk about you know obviously google did the aristotle project where they started talking about psychological safety yeah. back into 2011 i think um and it's it's right isn't it and ultimately it makes a much more enjoyable working experience if you feel psychologically safe at work. No one wants to be in an environment where they're like walking on eggshells going, wondering what's going to be said next, what's going to happen next. It's just not, aside from learning, it's just not a nice environment 
to work in. Um, so yeah, just thinking about how, what the culture is before you introduce um, any learning. Um, so I just want to come back to the online learning because I know you have a business oh, cool. which looks at online learning. And I know because I've had a little look, I had a little spy on your website and I quite like, you've got, I'd love to hear more. You've got this idea of learn, apply, embed, um, and then um, step zero. So can you talk to us a bit more about that and what's, what, how can we create the most effective learning on online aside from Zoom and Teams when we've got a sort of a, a learning platform, what's the best way to create effective learning? Cool, thanks for asking. Um, the, so this learn, apply, embed uh, piece, for me, the, the, the problem with online learning that I see and I see everywhere is that whole here let me tell you something and then test you to check you're listening uh, which I find patronizing disengaging and where it matters people are cheating all over the place and I have to say I've cheated too I you know if, if you need to get the certificate to say that you've been trained on this uh, people are asking other people to do it for them or taking screenshots and just copying the answers or skipping ahead and copying the right answers down and skipping back or finding ways around it, not really learning. Um, and so where online learning really comes into its own is to explore the, the models, the thinking, uh, that sort of thing, and begin the application. So the learn piece, online learning is great for. Uh, it needs to be done in an engaging way. And most online learning I find very disengaging. Mm. I'm, I'm slightly surprised at how easy it is to shine in the world of online learning because <laughs> there's so much very poor stuff out there. And I think because businesses uh, during the pandemic, I know lots of my clients who shut down. Oh, one of my clients completely closed down its L&D department entirely. You know, oh. there's an HR person responsible for it, but they're HR rather than L&D and other you know, some of my other clients have the L&D departments reduced to a third or less. And what they've done is they've said, we need online learning then. And so these L&D people who don't have a background in how to create engaging instructional design are, are churning out dross, you know, all the best will in the world, wanting to provide answers and working really hard. My heart goes out to them. But actually, the the workplace seems to be flooded with very poor online resources these days so it's not hard to shine so anyway uh, <laughs> learn you can teach the models you can begin applying but the apply piece uh, is where you've got to put this into action and that's where I would like some face-to-face -face interaction whether it's zoom face-to-face -face or actual face-to-face -face doesn't matter and when we do get back to um, classrooms again you know actual classrooms rather than virtual classrooms, I will still be using the model of teach all the stuff in their own time, well, not necessarily their own time in terms of work time, but uh, before they come. And so the expensive time of us being together and out of work and, and all that sort of thing, it, we're always doing is spending our time applying the stuff because they can learn it on their own. That's not, the, that's not the hard stuff. The hard stuff is applying it. And then embedding it is around the safe experiments, really. It's, mm. okay, I know I've learned what I need to do. I, I'm beginning to apply it. So how do I carry on applying this in a way that there's the continuous improvement edge to it? So that's learn, apply, embed. Step zero was me just saying, 
And why are we still not asking all the questions we should be asking about? Why are we doing this anyway? Well, really, what, what is the change you want? Really? Mm -hmm. Not, ah, oh, I want people to know all about, I don't know, ladder safety. Well, why? Because <laughs> then they're safe on ladders. Yeah, yeah, no, you're missing the point. We, we need to ask better questions than that about why are we doing this in the first place? What is the behavior change, not the knowledge that we want to have happen? And, and can I say, um, that's where all my focus is. What is the change in behavior that if this is all successful, we will be able to walk into the business and see, not what do we want people to know? Mm. I, I think that that's the very first step of a longer journey. And yet quite a lot of L&D is focused on by the end of this course, you will understand this and you will know this and you'll be able to name the three things that you mustn't do with bleach. I don't know. <laughs> and, yeah. and actually, no, that's not where, where it matters. The behavior change. That's that's where my focus is anyway. Yeah, I know. I love that. And actually, I think that's a great point of actually rather than knowledge, because actually knowledge doesn't mean you're going to change your behavior. Someone can have a lot of knowledge, but they don't necessarily do anything with it. So I actually think that's a really great way of to get the most out of that learning. What is the behavior change you want to see? Because I think particularly with health and safety training, there's kind of this very much tick box, right? Just get them health and safety, food safety, get them to tick all these boxes. But actually, what have people fully taken that in? And are they actually really practicing that? Yeah. So I think that's really, yeah, what behavior and, you know, asking that question. Um, but that learn, apply and embed, I think, it's great learning something, but I, I, I mean, I'm a very practical learner anyway. So I have to do something. I know for me, I have to do, I have to put it into action. Otherwise I won't fully get something. I need to sort of see it in action to do it. Um, and almost like what your sounds like then is really this really beautiful way of a hybrid training. So you, you really make the most of what the, the online learning is good for is giving them some knowledge and then getting them to put it into action in person. And almost this and you, you can do that through well-designed digital resources. You can encourage them to, to apply it there and then and create a structured environment to, to apply it. So I, I've, I've got a piece of learning that helps people design and run safe experiments, for example. So that's I mean, applying. I've learned about safe experiments. Now I'm applying it. And in fact, most of my, almost, I think all of my resources have at some place or another, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know this. What are you going to do with it? Here, here's a structured environment to help you apply it. Um, I don't think it's easy for people to apply because they think, oh, I've done the stuff. I've learned what I need to learn, and yes, I should go do this bit. And that's where accountability with your line manager and all that sort of thing uh, makes the difference. But it makes the difference with everything, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's really, really useful. Where do you think? Obviously, because we spent a year online, and then. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be allowed to venture back out into the world again. Where do you see the future with, with training? Do you think it will be, we'll still stick with a lot of online, it will be face-to-face, -face, all this hybrid? How do you think our experiences of, of the last year might change the training and learning world? I, I don't know any more than anyone else <laughs> does, I think. I, I'm just I, interested in your view. Okay, my so I suspect that there are so many benefits to not having to be in the same classroom at the same time, and you know, traveling, the travel, hotel costs, all that sort of stuff. It's 
easier to squeeze quite a lot into a small amount. You know, I'm running two hour training sessions that as I reflect on, I probably would have planned as a day training session if the business had asked me in the old days and I'm doing it in two hours now. It's not having quite the same impact, but it's not having no, oh, it's, it's having some exciting impact actually. So um, I think the benefits are so huge that that will continue. However, um, people miss being together and so on and in the same way I think offices will reopen to some degree I don't think it'll be black or white I don't think yeah. only one thing will happen I think both will happen yeah um what fascinating to me is it hasn't happened for me yet but some of my colleagues have done face-to-face -face training with some people remote and some people in the room and so oh, there's been a hybrid actually happening at the same time and I don't know I talked to one of my colleagues about that and she said, no, oh, it's really successful. It really worked. And I think, okay, until I've experienced it, I, I'm fine, struggling to imagine it working well, but she said it did. So maybe that's part of the future as well. Yeah. It's definitely going to be interesting, interesting time for um, learning and development, see how things, things evolve. But I think definitely, I think people, some learning, experiential learning, leadership, I just think, face to face you can't you know when I talk about that sharing stories and connecting and being in that space with each other I think there is nothing more powerful experience than you know we're human beings ultimately and we you know we do we do want to connect well you say that I yeah and you're right so I, I went to the dentist the other day <laughs> and I had this stranger with his hands in my mouth and it felt so weird now I'm a touchy-feely sort of guy you know I like hugging yeah. and so on but to have someone touch me and I was desperately conscious of the dental assistant leaning on me as she was sucking out the, the bits <laughs> from my mouth and so on and because I, we don't touch each other anymore so so no. having said that I've never met you Louisa we've only seen each other in in a remote environment and yet I feel like I know you I like you I like your energy and you can't say we haven't met yes this is because we have we, we've yeah. shared some some deep thoughts some silly thoughts we've had fun we've had We've done some work. Yes. And so I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's enough. I we'll see. Where, where, I mean, we'll it's see, gonna, it, I think what's and and my curious learning development brain who loves watching people and, and their behaviors, that very that that part of me is like I'm I'm fascinated to watch how things unfold and yeah. you know, how are we going to emerge back out into the world again? Because I don't think as a collective we can go through what we've been through in the last year without there being changes to how we do things it's just that natural way isn't it you go through a profound experience and you're never the same again and that and that's not a negative thing and it's not a positive thing it just is and you have an experience and you come out changed from it so I am I hope so I am interested to see I'm hoping we all come out a little bit kinder a little bit more appreciative of the simple things that's one of my little hopes um but we'll see won't we we'll see um we'll see well, how things unfold right, i'm really conscious of time i've loved i've loved this conversation justin i think it's been so rich i hope people have got some some good stuff from this and just a little summary so key thing for learning psychological safety if someone does not feel safe it's going to really impair their ability their ability to learn so as i understand the neuroscience they can't learn it's not even impaired it's actually prevented so okay. there we go so <laughs> make sure people feel safe 
um, and safe experiment. Say so once they've learned something, give them a chance to test it out, put it into action, Absolutely. see how it works. Yes. So yes. Get back in the chemistry lab, like school, and try it out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, and then, you know, what? How did it work? And and then go from there and basically repeat that cycle, essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so sounds quite simple. Probably not always as simple in action, but it's a great a great model to use. And I think. Um, you know, whether it's online or in person. So thank you so much for sharing that, Justin. And before we go, there are some questions I quite like to ask all our guests. Okay. Um, so what has been one of your biggest challenges um, in your life or career and how did you overcome it? Uh, it's a very personal thing, actually. My daughter at 16 was diagnosed with a very dangerous teenage cancer, just awful. Wow. And having to go through the two years she's doing really well now but having to go through two years of dreadful dreadful awful treatment and going out to work and being entertaining and engaging and all that sort of thing that's be probably the biggest challenge of my life I can imagine wow how did you how did what how did you get through that I learned to focus I learned to put down what I couldn't control and focus on what was in front of me I think there were costs to that. I think I was repressing some of the emotions, uh, which I needed to deal with at a later date. But um, it was that learning how to just not think about it and be present in the moment and do what I needed to do uh, and focus on what I could control. That yeah. was, was part of what I learned during that time anyway. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Justin. Very quite a profound experience, I think. It was, yeah definitely something that i'm sure people during this time can take away some of what you've just said okay <laughs> um, just like you know we sometimes we're faced with the worst situations but you have to continue don't you as much as yeah, you're funny li life seems to keep going it's <laughs> odd. It, jolly well should stop at that moment well that's does. what you feel like though that's what it yes. feels like but um really yeah you do have to keep you keep going um and finally what leader has inspired you and why now, you told me you were going to ask that question. And so I, I've got a whole handful of heroes of mine that yeah. I love, you know, Adam Grant and Chip and Dan Heath, I think amazing, and all, all sorts of people that I follow and love. And do you know that the one that stood out for me, I'm so glad you asked the question because I haven't thought of her for so many years, is a woman called Miss Whitaker. I don't know her first name. Uh, I was on a, a helping look after a children's camp and this elderly woman, she'll be long dead now, because uh, I was, I guess I was 17 at the time. And she, I was, so I was helping run this camp for younger kids. And she said to me at one point, you could run this sort of thing. And I, it was so far beyond my expectation of myself. I never saw myself as a leader of a, at all in those days. And her belief in me changed me, actually. And as, when I thought of her, I then thought of other people who've believed in me and have had, you know, I am who I am because of people believing in me and giving me a chance. And it started with Miss Whitaker oh, and my parents, of course. But, uh, you know, when I think of what leader, it was her. Oh, I love that. Is, I love that story. I love stories like that that are really personal stories because I think. Well, it makes me want to say to someone, do you realise who you could be here more yeah. often? Yes. Yeah. And I think also the beauty of it is actually the most influential people in our lives are those ones that we meet as opposed to necessarily the, you know, the, the people we see, you know, 
like I said earlier. Big role models. And yeah, things, yeah, actually, it's yeah. And, and I think that comes back to what is a leader. Anyone can be a leader, you know, and I think it's that thing of how are you showing up for yourself and other people every day? Because you never know, you never know what kind of day somebody's having and you never know what impact you could have on that person. So just listening, being being kind and, and, and you know, saying, seeing, saying something nice. If you see that talent, if you see something in somebody, just share it because you never know what impact it's going to have. So I love that story. And I think that's a perfect way to end. Or before we go, actually, where can people find you, Justin? If people want to find out more about you and what you do. Easiest thing is leadability.co.uk. And I'm there and my contact details are there and something of what we do is there. I've got an offer. You can edit this out if you want me to (laughs) to do it. Uh, But in your show notes, I I can put a link to um, a resource about safe experiments. So if they want to just watch a three minute video uh, exploring how to run a safe experiment, then I can offer that. Yes, brilliant. Well, I'll put your website link on there as well, but that video would be great. I can put that um, link in there. So yeah, we'll put, I'll put all those details in the, um, in the podcast page. And um, all that I have to say is thank you so much, Justin. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've had so much fun um, and it's been a great conversation. I hope everyone else has enjoyed it. And um, thank you for listening, everybody. And thank, goodbye, Justin. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks so much.